guys and welcome to the sweet spot on a farm episode 13 part 2. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, the first part of my interview with Vivian from Hydroease, I suggest you go back to it and listen. Otherwise, this episode won't quite make sense to you. In part one, Vivian talked about her background and why she got into the floating business, about flotation, what it is and why it's so good for you. And we briefly touched on a few other therapies Vivian has trained in and offers at Hydra East to her clients. In this episode, we will expand on this and Vivian will take us through the therapies she trained in and explain why they're so beneficial when used together with the flotation. But before I let you listen to it, I have to share something. After the last episode, I had a conversation with a friend whom I was telling about the whole flotation and my experience. And my friend concluded that it's the same as if you simply purchased a few extra bags of Epsom salts and had a strong magnesium bath. Well, let me tell you that no, it isn't quite the same and nothing you do at home can replicate the experience you get when floating in Vivian's center. And I'm going to tell you why. I'll get into the details of my experience after this interview. But to explain the difference between a strong home Epsom salts bath and floating. First of all, unless you have a mansion with a small pool, your bath is simply not big enough to allow enough room for you to float around. That's just not going to happen. Never mind the half a ton of Epsom salts. I don't think I could actually squeeze 500 kilos of Epsom salts into the bath in our apartment. And secondly, unless you have your bathroom soundproofed, you will get distracted by the noises of the outside world. And that is exactly what you do not want. Part of this therapy is the escape from all the noises and all the distractions of our lives. Close the bathroom door and you will still hear the cars outside, the birds, the wind, the rain, the dogs in the neighborhood, someone hoovering next door, kids laughing, people arguing, people talking, etc, etc. And believe me, I know because I have been using Epsom salts for years and I have been trying to shut the outside world out when meditating and it is impossible to do in your own home. So let's just listen to the expert, shall we? Over to Vivian. Enjoy, guys. Back to Hydroease. So all these other therapies and services that, that you studied for yeah. and you offer all of them yeah. at Hydroease. Yeah. Was there any particular reason why you picked up of each of them or, or did you just stumble up on something and thought, oh, that sounds interesting. I think I'm going to go and study that. Yeah. Neurolinguistic programming I had been aware of for a long time and I had read, uh, have you heard of neurolinguistic programming? Not until I read about hydroease and mm. yourself. So neuro is your five senses. So that's what we've just been talking about, you know, everything you see, hear, feel, taste, such as well. Um, and linguistic is how you construct your speech, but it's how you construct your speech based on how you're processing the world. So based on, there's lots of different operators within your speech. So you can say, th- you know, things like can't, should, never, these all kind of stunt where you're at. Things like, like the word but. So if I was to say to you, that's a really nice cardigan, but it'd be nicer in black. You wouldn't walk away with the, well, this is a really nice cardigan. You would walk away, visualise it in black, or you'd visualise what it would look like. And again, it's going back to that powerful nation, that imagination. So we there's certain words, there's certain phrases, there's certain things that you can, you can ask questions in a certain way. You can construct a question that instantly makes someone go inside. And by doing that, 
they're instantly considering how that change would be for them which is instantly creating pictures, sounds, smells, tastes, whatever in their mind. And I, I mean, I don't know if you know yourself, like, but I know that um, my gran used to make soup and I don't know what, what was in this soup, but I always remember when I went to my gran's house, there was this smell of soup and it was just like, oh, I love that. And I'm not sure if, I think it was maybe turnip or something that was in it, but I've smelled it a couple of times and as soon as I smell it, I'm like, oh, that smells like my grandma's house. So as soon as I smell it, it takes me back to that point in time. Or this bracelet here is reclaimed silver and I got it from my best friend and she gave it to me when it was her wedding. And I remember the exact moment she gave me this. And every time I look down and catch this bracelet, I'm like, oh. And it takes me back to that time when I was sitting with Helen and she said, I got you this. Do you know, so it's like, and there's certain things. So neurolinguistic programming, programming's all about the processes and the all the values, attitudes, beliefs that you were shown and accepted as a child. So for example, in terms of programming, like when we, if there's a busy main road, we'll find a crossing, we'll stop at the crossing, we'll press the button, we'll wait for the red to go green, because that is part of kind of social norms. It's what we're taught as a child, or some of us are. If we have grew up in a family that abide by social norms and by, you know, but you'll have other people that'll just run in and out of traffic and then because that was what they were taught. So we're all programmed very differently depending on the experiences we've had. And for me, neurolinguistic programming was, was always quite interesting. But then when I studied it, I was like, ah, right. So I'm not really this person then because this person I am right, this person I am now is a product of the experiences I've had and is a product of everybody else's way to live their life and everybody else's opinions and but then their opinions and their ways of living their life came from the caregivers they had and the people they had around about them and so what you're telling me now is I have the what the powers with me I can change this I can actually so I can become who I want to become I don't have to be this person just because this is what I've been shown so that really got me interested and then I looked at timeline therapy and timeline therapy is about going back to Every time we have an experience, we anchor that experience. So we anchor the experience for the first time. So, for example, if you, when, say, when you're a kid and you're in the buggy and um, someone, you drop your teddy and someone walks past and gives you the teddy and they go, boo, like that. And you giggle and giggle and your mind and your body's like, oh, what is this? What is this? So you, so you anchor that. So that's, you know, that's, that's, that's your first event. So you maybe then have another few events of laughter. We'll have loads of laughter. You know, kids laugh all the time. But then you maybe are like maybe seven or eight years old and you're walking down the road with your granddad and you're holding your granddad's hand and you're thinking, he's my granddad, I love him. He's like, and I'm so safe because I'm with him and he's got my hand and he's taking me for sweeties. And and then you see someone slipping on a banana skin and your granddad kills himself laughing and you kill yourself laughing and the two years in that moment are like, oh my God, look at that. That becomes a significant emotional event because in that moment you had all these other lovely things going on and then you're maybe 40 years old and you're sitting with your granddad and you say, Granddad, do you remember? I was only about seven years old. I remember we were walking along the road and that woman slipped on the banana skin and he says, oh, love, I remember that. And you just go back to that and you just remember because at that moment it was a significant emotional event. You then have other laughter events and happiness and joy. and You maybe then leave high school and you go to see 
PRK with your friends from college or university or whatever and you kill yourself laughing and it's one of the mo- and you spend the whole night you then go out afterwards for something to eat and you sit with your friends and have a really good night and at that moment there's that real deep connection and again it's going back to that connection I'm talking about so you go back to that connection and so then even you know you meet up with your friends and you're in your 40s or your 50s and you go oh, do you remember when we left the school remember I had that horrendous pink dress on and we went to see Peter Kay and somebody else would say oh yeah do you know what? I remember I only laughed at the first joke and then that kept me laughing the whole time so I missed the whole thing and again it's a significant emotional event so it's been anchored in your timeline you then have other laughter events and things but then something happens and you kill yourself laughing and people look at you and go Susanna that's actually not that funny <laughs> and you're like I know I'm so sorry but for you it is because in your timeline it's not just it's not just that event that's happening right there and then in front of you that you're laughing at it's the association you have with all these other events and there's an element of that event in these other events, whether it's that your body's doing this or whether it's your mind's going somewhere or whatever it is. We all react or respond to things based on our previous experience. Now, that example I used was with happiness and joy. This is the same with anger, sadness, fear, hurt, guilt. And and again, this is where your defensive rage comes from. So something might happen and someone becomes really defensive and really, what do you mean by that? Like, what? And you're like, whoa, like, that's not what I meant by that. What I was saying... And they're like, no, what you were saying was, because they'll start to mind read based on how their things are going on in their head. So they'll then start to put their labels on their programming and their processing onto your experiences and onto the things that you're saying. And the other person's going, that's not what I meant at all, because they're processing things very differently. So I became really interested in that as well. And that was like, right. So that's why I do, and it just started, it was almost like I was rewriting this book within my own head of, right, that's, you've done this because of this, but this is how you can change it, and this is what you'd like it to be, right, you've done this because, so it just gave me that really sort of linear way of looking at why I had became the person I became, and why I was, why I was responding to the world, well, reacting, I suppose, back then, so I was very much a reactor. So people would do things, I would react. People would do so. My control was out here. Everybody else controlled me, and what then happened from there was almost like at that point was stopped and went. Hang on a minute. At least people don't control me. You know, all my life, other people have controlled me through the experiences I've had. I've carried a little bit of everybody else's hurt, everybody else's guilt, everybody else's shame, and made it mine. Like, why would I do that? So I then was like, well, do you know what? I'm going to give it all back. I'm going to give everybody back the, the heart, the fear, the anger, the, everything that they gave me. And I'm just going to start to respond now. I'm going to start to pay attention to what's going on in here. And, you know, if you have an emergency, it's a first responder that turns up. It's not a first reactor. A reaction's a, oh, my God, like, God, oh, it's running around like a headless chicken. A response is, right, look, this has happened. Right, what, what are the options here? What do we, we could do this, we could do that, we could do this. And when you have that running within you, and it's running like, like this, when something happens that you, you can identify as, do you know what, I think that person might just be wanting a reaction from me. So how I'm going to respond is, I'm going to choose to walk away, or I'm going to choose to go and do something, or I'm going to choose to do whatever, and it's that choice, it's having that power of choice. And, you know, and again, going back to floating, that just backs all that up because it's the whole let it go, having the choice to just go, just let it go. And then, of course, I found Havening. And a couple of years ago, I was fortunate enough to train with Paul McKenna and Dr. Richard Bandler. Dr. Richard Bandler's like the daddy of NLP. He invented NLP. I was really eager and keen to train with him before because he's, he's, he's elderly now. 
Um, so I flew to London and uh, trained with, and I was fortunate enough again to chat with Paul McKenna. I bumped into him in a hotel, and we stood chatting like old friends in in this in this lobby. And I was saying to him, you know, it'd be really interesting to be able to switching off of the amygdala and reprocessing things without that ability to fire it off. And he was saying, so Havening Technique, have you heard it? So I got chatting with him about that, came back to, to Belfast and there's a gentleman down in Dublin who, who delivers the training. So I went and done my training with him and went through, done my case studies, done my exams and, and, and got qualified. I think there's probably about maybe 40, 50 people in Northern Ireland who've done the training for Havening. But there's only about seven or eight of us that have actually went on and qualified and accredited in it. Um, and it's like anything, you know, you can read up, you can do course, you can do whatever, but until you actually go through a qualification for it, and, you know, I have 30 robust case studies, I mean, I've got a lot more now, but, but it's just that, going back to that disconnection from yourself, and the Havening Technique, what it does is it invites the mind into Delta Wave. What happens is at the point of uh, an experience, I mean, trauma's not an event, trauma's how we store that event. So you and I could have exactly the same experience, I could go away and not think about it ever again, you could go away and it's all you can think about. And the next time we meet, I'm like, hey, how are you? And you're like, oh my goodness, remember that thing? And I'm like, oh, I forgot all about that. But for you, it's very much, it's here. It's right within, it's at the centre of your nation. So what happens in Havening is what we found is that your mind creates a chemical, it's a protein called PKZ. And what it does is it almost like anchors all the elements of that experience. So all what what are probably known as triggers to your fight or flight. So it means that if part of that experience was, you know, Bob Marley was playing on the radio in the background and you're walking through the shopping centre and you hear Bob Marley and your, your amygdala, your fight or flight response goes, oh, that's one of these things and everything flails off and the whole thing sets up, the whole fight or flight sets up again. It's what's called phosphorylated, so it's stuck, this PKZ protein has stuck it there, so it's always going to create that response. In Havening, what we've found is that when we're born, we're born with two fears. The fear of loud noises and the fear of falling. Everything else is taught. Everything else is, is learnt behaviour. Everything else we learn about. The one thing that tells us as soon as we're born, and again going back to you know early life experience, the first thing that tells us that we're safe is contact here on our arms. Because whether we're picked up and put on our mother's chest or we are wrapped in a blanket first place of stimulation is here. Now we've gone from the safety of the womb and we're really all curried up and we're nice, nice and tight and then we are come out in this vast world and we're like ah! and then this here, being held here is like oh right I'm contained within something again. So what we found is um, things like emotional freedom technique and EMDR and use all these different, use all the same sort of you know, tapping points in certain areas. But the ones that create the most impact within the brain is the arms here because it goes back to that, you know, that first sort of born experience. Here, here, so on the finger, the top, the middle and the bottom and the palm of the hand all have acupressure points. So if you rub two hands together like that, you're instantly activating 32 acupressure points. We also have receptors in here and across here. And if you've ever tried to get a baby to sleep or you've seen someone getting a baby to sleep, they'll shush the baby and then they'll rub the baby's face and, and you'll see the baby's eyes going like this. <laughs> because under here, what this instantly does is puts the brain into delta wave. So delta wave activity, again, going back, is your deep natural sleep. So if you can, by rubbing the arms here, rubbing the hands here and rubbing the face here, you instantly activate delta wave within the brain. 
What that then does is it opens up the calcium channels within the brain. Calcium delta wave create a chemical called calcium neuron and this deactivates, it's called dephosphorylates, but it unsticks these triggers from the amygdala. So if you can bring up that experience and have it running in your neurology and your physiology and you you know and you're there, you apply the stimulation to the arms, the hands and the face and create distraction, you get people to count, sing, think about something else, go to the beach, come back from the beach, do all this different stuff. What happens is the emotional component is taken out of that experience. So you still have the experience, but no longer is the emotional component attached to it. So it means that this experience can become an experience like any other. So for example, you know, say someone who's maybe been in a car crash and they'll say, oh, it was a Tuesday morning, it was 8th of April, I was driving along the Upper Newton Arms Road and this yellow car came out from the side and I had just, and you know, I was listening to whatever radio station in the morning and it just happened like this and then there was a lady behind me and, and, the, and then I'll say to them, and what did you have for your breakfast that morning? And they're like, my breakfast? So instantly, that's a pattern interrupt. So that's, they're coming out of that to go, what you talking, what, my breakfast? Um, why would I remember what I had for my breakfast that morning? Well, you've clearly remembered everything that happened in that space of that 10 minutes, 15 years ago. So why would you not remember what happened for your breakfast? So, and then they're kind of like, oh, because it wasn't important. Right, so you've placed importance on this experience that you've had then. So when you remove the emotional component from it, it becomes an experience like any other. So it becomes, oh, I remember I had a crash once in the Upper Newton Arch Road. Now, when was that? Oh, I can't even remember. It was in, it was in one of my old cars. I'm sure it was, was it the red car? Because... No longer does it have that importance on the fight or flight response because it's all been resolved and it's all been able to go. So if you can do that with someone when they're up here in this room and then put them down in the float tank, because you've removed that emotional component, things will start to move within their neurology. Things will start to move within various different areas of the brain. So while they're doing that, if you then put them in an environment where there's nothing coming in from either their peripheral or their central nervous system and they can make sense of that change that's just happened for them without the interference of anybody else, then it means that this is a real, it's theirs, it belongs to them. It's not been given to them by somebody else, it's not been, and they do their work themselves. I went for counselling years ago, and the woman sat and said, how did that make you feel? And I was like, I have just poured out all of the stuff to you, and you're asking, how do you think it made me feel? Do you know, I'm bloody suicidal, I've been sitting here, this is what I'm trying to tell you. I was then kind of going, oh, therapy's not for me, but I really do need to speak to somebody, I need to sort this out. And for me, it was that, just I worked it out myself you know I, I was able to heal myself by being myself by connecting back in with myself by actually identifying who who was myself by even asking that question there was just a wee tiny voice inside went I'm in here I'm in here because there was so much hurt pain guilt sadness shame anger all these different things um and I get I mean even as kids you know if you as a kid, you jump about on the sofa and you're told, get down from there, and you're maybe having a good laugh with your brother or sister and you're tickling each other. And so your happiness is suddenly, boom, sadness is on top of it. And then your brother maybe does something silly and then you go and do something silly and then you're having a carry-on and then you're fighting and you knock the table and the lamp falls and your dad's like, what did you just get to? Your mother told you. And it's your fault and you get the blame for it and sent to your bed and you're angry. and you're So again, the happiness now has anger on top of it. So we become almost like this. Have you ever seen the balls that are made with, with elastic bands? Yeah, yes. a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> so we almost become like that elastic band ball do you know what I mean but at the core of that elastic band ball is the first elastic band that ever started it and it's the first it's the one elastic band that's completely covered but when you take it all apart 
really it would be nothing without that first elastic band. It would never have been able to be made in the first place. So I think for me that self-healing started just was started in that float tank. And then the more I was kind of like in that moment with that woman saying, oh, it's just lovely and relaxing. And me saying, no, no, so what else happened here? And she couldn't give me the answers that I was looking for. So I was like, do you know what? I'm going to go and find them. And I always remember one of my friends saying to me, do you know, Viv, there's three types of people in the world. There's people who make things happen. There's people who watch things happen. And there's people who sit back and say, what happened? You're definitely one of the people that make things happen. If I don't understand something or somebody can't give me the answers, then I'll go and find someone who can. Or I'll go and or I'll research it. Or I'll, and, and then if not, then I'll go and make something that can do whatever it is that, that I would like it to do. And I think the power of flexibility, one of the things I learned in new linguistic programming is the law of requisite variety. And what that states is the person with the most flexibility is the person who will hold the most control in any situation or system. So the more flexible you can be, it doesn't matter what people say. It's, 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 see if you can rely on you. That's the main thing. And I know I can rely on me. And that's, that's what keeps that having no expectations. It's just like, wake up in the morning and I'm like, yes, my eyes are open and I'm breathing. Today's going to be a good day. <laughs> <laughs> and then it starts and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's a really good advice for anybody to have no expectations. And it is so hard, mm-hmm. the way we live and the way we're taught to live. We're totally. From very early on, we're expected to expect things, whether good or bad. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to get away from that. And even things like, you know, like I remember my son, um, Gary, when, when Gary was small, and if I, I would say to Gary, um, do you know, I'll help you with that. Whatever it was, I'll help you with that. Oh, come here, I'll help you with that. And what it meant, what so so what I taught him was that if I said to him, oh, here, I'll help you with it, it meant that I came in, I, he relinquished all control over what it was that he was doing and I would do it for him. So there was an, an, there was an event, there was a time when Gary was trying to get his jacket on and he couldn't get the zip in. He was only about maybe six. And I was saying, come on, get your jacket on. Like, I was so impatient back then, I really was. And I said, come on, get your jacket on. Come on, we're late, we're late and it's your fault and blah, blah. And putting all this stuff onto him. Oh, come here, I'll do it for you. Come on, I'll help. And I went straight in, done the zip, clicked the zip in and pulled it right up. So as a kid, he grew up with the understanding, if I ask for help, People come in and do it all anyway, so I can sit back and do nothing. Or, if I ask for help, people come in and take my control, so I'm just not going to ask for help. And it swings two ways. For like I see sometimes both these things happening within Gary. But then, Sonny, my, my, my wee boy who's only five, exactly the same situation, you know, and this was only about a few months ago, getting ready for school in the morning, and he's like, I can't do my zip. And I said, if you could do your zip, what would you be doing? And he's like... I, 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 I don't know how to do my zip I said you don't know how to do your zip darling would you like me to help you and he was like yeah and I was like what bit would you like help with and he said it's, it's that I can't get the zip in and I was like right well if you could do it what you would do is you would hold this bit you would put the zip in and then you would click it like that and look it pulls up now and he was like oh thank you mummy and then he finished it off so for him grown up he is now going to understand that when he asks for help it's about someone saying what is it you would like, first of all, identifying what would you like help with? And when you can't do something, being asked, well, if you could do it, what would you be doing? Because then, you know, I can't do this. Well, if you could do it, what would you be doing? Well, I'd be over there and I'd be talking to them and I'd be doing this and that. So why are you not doing that? Do you know, because when we say we can't do something, 
But again, it's going back to the car thing. It's, it's limiting possibilities and opportunities within our environment. Everybody has it within them to be who they want to be. Everybody, I mean, our tagline here is the magic is within you because I firmly believe the magic is within you because I've found the magic within myself. And, you know, I can't share my magic with other people because it's my magic and it's like, it's mine and you're not getting any of it. But I'm quite happy to share my cabins with you, so I'm quite happy to share. But it's about finding your own magic. We all have the power within us to be, do, do whoever we want to be. It really is about the choices you make. You said early on that you had a vision of this Helen, you know, working together with the NHS. Is it something that you think can happen or is it already happening or are there any plans to put that in place? Because I really do think that what you're offering is not only complementing other healing techniques or mm -hmm. forms of recovery that are already implemented within the NHS, but I think it can also be a really good place where the NHS patients could be sent to with certain issues yeah. that really do not require medication. I have had, um, and I mean, again, our system is so stretched, absolutely stretched to the max, you know, and especially in terms of addiction and mental health. We have, Northern Ireland, as I say, like, I, I don't know, there's a lot of statistics go about, and we talk about how one in five people have mental health condition, and Northern Ireland has a 25% higher incidence rate of that, which would mean it was one in four. But if you go back to the statistics from the, from the report that was done, there was a research project done at Queen's University in 2011, which states 40% of the people that live here live with the symptoms of trauma. Now, the last time I looked, trauma was a mental health condition. So you're talking 40% is almost one in two. So statistics, like, statistics can be whatever you think they should be. Um, but we, it's a fact, it's not a statistic, it's a fact our NHS system is pushed to the max. We have huge waiting lists. We have, you know, people who are in dire need. When you, and this is speaking as someone in recovery, when you are struggling with an addiction or you're struggling with the, the whole thing of avoiding pain and you put your hand up and say, I would like some help. That's not an easy thing to say. And some of the services is, well, we can't give you a service till you're clean for six weeks. If you can get clean for six weeks, you don't need their service. Do you know? And sometimes, sometimes people can put their hand up and say, I really need help. And, be, and then they have to wait maybe three, four, five, six months, by which point that whole motivation's gone and it's completely eradicated. And six months down the line, they're back in that space. They come to the top of this list. The, the, um, the, you know, the professional person takes a look at them and goes, nah, you're not, you're not the right place for this. But they were six months ago when they first put their hand up and asked for the help. In terms of where I'm at with it, I've been up to the um, pain management clinic up in the Ulster Hospital and I've had a few good conversations with Dr Naranjan Chogli up there. He's one of the pain management consultants. They would refer people in, but that's more for things like fibromyalgia, uh, chronic regional pain syndrome, um, ME, things like that. But at the same time, it's, and it's just a huge thing to get through. There's hoops and hoops and hoops. And, but what I have found and what's really encouraging is that The, the people of Northern Ireland are ready for stuff. They're so ready for it, you know, and you've probably seen your industry as well in terms of, you know, even we were talking earlier on about um, Dervla, you know, about fermented foods, and, you know, all the, you know, the, just really, you know, good nutrition, good lifestyle, you know, just changing things, getting back to basics, getting back to how things used to be. I think Northern Ireland are, are really, you know, they're, they're sitting up and they're, they're ready. They're almost like looking for all these things, you know, they're just like, just, just give us it. If you can get something you know, in the mainstream within Northern Ireland 
and then you know then the rest of the UK and the rest of it's all very well holding up a country and saying look we have almost half the population living with the symptoms of trauma who have really you know the mental health over here is 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 really shocking and and we only spend and we spend I think it's something like 25% less of our budget is spent addressing mental health but we have a higher rate of it so I think it's sometimes it's too easy to you know, to, to show us the bad things about something. Do you know, rather than saying, look, here's a really forward-thinking country that has all these alternative ways of doing things. So I think it's quite an exciting place to be trying it and to be trialling it out, but who do you talk to? Who are the... Per- I mean, as I've said, you know, like, I'm one of these people that make things happen. So, but again, that person or that thing, has, I've probably already met them. I maybe have. They've maybe been in the company that I've been in. They've maybe... Or they've maybe heard about me from somebody else. But when the time's right for that, it'll happen and these connections will be made. I'm hoping by 2025, um, I'd said when I first opened right, my 10-year plan is in 10 years' time, if not if not actually on the NHS, at least recognised and at least maybe been through procurement for things like maybe BUPA or something like that. And we've had a couple of people in who have claimed it back on their personal insurance, on their, their health insurance. I mean, I'd love to say that, you know, that it's definitely going to get there, but as it is just now, as you say, it's, it's a vision. It's a vision, it's a dream. I would love to have it. And the thing is now, you can have, you can get a membership for Weight Watchers. You can get a membership, a pass for the gym, you know, for 10, 12, however many weeks. Through the NHS, you can go to your doctor and they'll give you that. And I just think it would be, it would be amazing if your doctor could give you, you know, five sessions, six, three sessions in a float tank, just to even just to reduce your symptoms while you wait to be seen. I would love to see float clinics in the hospitals, you know, where people are coming in and spending that hour and just, you know, the difference that that would make and the initial costs of it would be the, the outlay for the tanks. But we took part in a global study that was looking at the benefits of using flotation with fibromyalgia. And um, on that study... Um, we had we'd, we'd had 31 people who came through Hydro's and they were offered 10 floats at a registry of £200, so it worked out £20 a float. They got the first float, four floats free and then a big registry on the other six floats. And there was a girl that came in one day and she we were going through the medical records and we were talking about you know um, her previous diagnosis and stuff like that. She was on 13 different medications. Eight of the medications for the, were for the symptoms that she was sitting with at that moment. And the other five medications were to counteract the the side effects yeah. of the medications. And I just thought, are we really living in a society that thinks that that's okay, that thinks that that's fine? And, you know, the, the antidepressants she was on, she had been on for 15 years. Hang on. Like, antidepressants are... You're not supposed to be on antidepressants for any more than maybe three to sort of six months. Do you know, it's, it's about, you know, getting that chemistry back right within the brain. But there's more to it, as you were saying earlier. There's more to it than medication. It's about saying, right, well, you know what, we'll give you this medication, but you'll also, like, here's this. Here's, here's a nutritional, you know, here's, a, like, a, a food diary. Here's the... You know, and getting all these things right, because if not, then you're basically... You're throwing, you're throwing petrol on a fire to then pour sugar to try and put it out, it's just never going to happen. Do you know what I mean? It's just never going to happen. But I'd love to be more positive and say, yeah, it's going to be, it's definitely going to be there. And, <laughs> and you know, my vision is it will be there. And, and, you know, I'm not even going to think that it's not going to be there. At some point, I mean, one of the benchmarks is 2025. And the thing is, in life, we've either got goals or problems. And I swap my problems for goals. So, and, and you know, and it's a good thing to do because we spend... We, we spend time in one or the other. Do you know, it's like we either spend time working on our problems or working on our goals. 
you know, I always remember one of my friends saying to me, always vest in good shoes and a good bed, because if you're not in one, you're in the other. And I was like, so true, actually. Um, but it's the same with goals and problems. You know, if you're not working on one, you're working on the other. So mine will make more goals than problems. Well, it's certainly a great goal to have. I'm really, really hoping that it will happen. And I think one of the things that can make it happen is the demand. You know, I think mm-hmm. it's good to see that people are more and more asking for other solutions than yeah. getting pills. Because mm-hmm. popping pills is easy, but in the long run, it's not going to work. So I think that people are starting to see that and yeah. are asking more and more for alternative ways more natural ways, different ways, other than mm. taking medication. And, and the thing is, you know, Epsom salt is um, magnesium sulfate. Now, we've used magnesium for years and years and years. Um, you know, magnesium is really good for drawing toxins from the body. It's really good for reducing um, the anxious response. It's good for inflammation. It's like magnesium sulfate has so many different properties. I mean, we're supposed to have 25 micrograms of magnesium within our system. And most of our magnesium that we absorb and we take in is through our food source or used to be through our food source. But because our food is trampled on now, do you know, our crops are sprayed, our food you know, is genetically modified, it's processed and brought in and it's covered in e-numbers and additives and preserve and all these different things that these minerals that we really benefit from are slowly but surely being depleted from our diet and you know low magnesium is you know people who are living with things like anxiety and fibromyalgia arthritis you can bet your boots their magnesium will be low so even just having a nice healthy dose of magnesium in flotation you transdermally take in the effects so you're lying in the bath you're lying in the in the float tank and you take it in now just thinking there about contradictions, you know, people who are maybe um, insulin dependent, they would get quite a lot of magnesium within that. So we would say, you know, things like only float, you know, once every month or something like that, just to, or with a doctor's advice. Or, um, and people who are maybe being titrated from one medication to another for something like maybe psychosis or schizophrenia or, you know, epilepsy, with doctor's permission. Um, I mean, some of the most satisfied satisfied floaters we have, and I love calling people floaters. Um, one of the most, some of the most satisfied floaters we have would be, you know, pregnant ladies. So if you can imagine when you're pregnant, and your body is so you've got that weight of the baby in front, you're constantly pulled forward like this. Everything's expanding and moving, and you know, there's so much more blood and everything's going on. To have all of that just supported by a solid liquid. And then, but also for the baby, you know, being in the womb, in a womb-like environment. Mm. And I mean, we had a girl that came in and she was 18 weeks pregnant and she um, had had a baby before and she was panicking because she was 18 weeks and, you know, the first time she'd felt the baby moving at about 13, 14. So she'd got to sort of 13, 14 weeks, nothing, she couldn't feel anything. 15, 16 weeks, couldn't feel anything. 17, 18 weeks and she had just came, she'd been at the hospital the day before. She came and she said, oh, I'm just a bit anxious, you know, like, I'm, and I'm not feeling the baby moving. And they said yesterday at the hospital, everything, everything was fine, but it's just, you know, it's just not knowing kind of thing. And she came out the float and burst into floods of tears. She was like, I felt the baby moving, I felt the baby moving, it was the most amazing thing. And So even things like that, I mean, Judith and I, we're in tears in here, you know, quite frequently, just... Because people come out and they're so moved by what, what they've just done. Do you know, we've had, we had a guy that came out one day completely naked, absolutely not a stitch on, holding his towel just in front of him, which just covered his modesty and no more, and walked into the reception and went, oh my God, was that an hour? Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, how bizarre. 
and walked back and we just seen this wee bare bum walking back in the session and Judith and I were just like did that just happen? Did that just... Do you know, but we've had other people that have came out and they're like do you know what I'm going to do this, this, this and this and we've had other people that came out and they've like just explained the meaning of life in the space of 10 minutes we had and a girl that came out one day she says do you know I feel like um, oh it's really hard to describe but I feel like like you know when you buy a brand new phone and you and you plug it in and you charge the battery and, and it works really well for the first wee while, you know, and then and then you put apps on it and then you've got pictures on it and then you've got your emails coming to it and then you've got and it's just so overloaded and the battery doesn't even last a day and it's starting to malfunction and short circuit and switches off and switches off. She went, I feel like I've been reset back to my factory settings. <laughs> so comments like that, we were just like you know, my wee boy that came in with um autism. And after it, we were saying to him, well, how was that? And he said, oh, it was just so lovely. It just made my anxiety go away. And he was Aww. only about nine. Do you know, so we have so much great feedback that comes. And I mean, as much as I'm like, you know, flotation, it's this big utopian world. It's it's not for everybody. It's And nothing is. Nothing is a one size that fits all. And we, we have had people that have came in and went, I don't really get it. Or I've had people that came in and said, I just couldn't shut off and blah. And I, and I almost feel like saying, right, get back in there. Back in there. You know, that is actually what happened because I was here with my partner and I felt instantly like, oh my God, this is that's awesome. Mm. But that's because I've been doing years of yoga every morning and I've started mm. meditation and I recently really got into the Wim Hof method. Mm. So I do a lot of breathing each morning and I'm learning to let go and shut the world out. Mm. And even though I was struggling in it, I, I kind of get it. But I think he's the kind of person who needs to control everything. Yeah. I mean, he's very calm and collected and everything, but I think to let completely go is maybe something he struggles with. Mm. So after we got out, he was like, you know, it's it's nice, but I couldn't like completely relax. And I was thinking, dude, you need to just let go. Yeah, that's it. And just hanging on to the last bit of control, you need to let go of mm-hmm. that. So actually he did say, I think I need to come back again mm-hmm. to experience it again and see if that will do anything and the float me. does that like I am a big believer I'm a big believer in the universe I believe in and again it's going back to the the whole just because I've let so much go that I'm just like put it out there and, and just leave it the thing is the float will call you back like if, if you're supposed to come back and do it the float will call you back it'll find a way of getting you back oh, here it's calling me back uh, alright <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is and you know the amount of people like, I had a conversation with a girl on the phone this morning and there was you know there's lots of different things going on for her and she made a comment that because um, she, she came in and done the research with us and then just uh, there was uh, lots of things going on in her personal life and you know financially there was lots of things going on and she I said to her look it sounds like there's a lot going on for you I said you could probably because she was chatting about somebody else I said it sounds like you could do with coming back and getting in for a float and she says she, do you know uh, like we, we financially we're not really in a position just now but I was chatting with my husband and he was saying do you know the only thing that worked for you the only thing that you know enabled you to be the best thing you know the, the best version of you was was when you were floating we're going to make sure we can get some money to get you back there I believe finance shouldn't be a barrier for anybody and I would love to say look anybody who can't afford it just come and do it ultimately at the end of the day this is a business but in, a, in an ideal world it would be something that it would be something that would be accessible through the NHS or through a funded programme or so you know anybody who's listened to this who thinks that you know because I work with I'm from the charity and voluntary sector I've always worked in the charity and voluntary sector until you know this whole business woman kind of thing I'm just a bit like Oh, you mean me? Like me, a businesswoman? <laughs> and even in terms of you know when I was growing the business and and starting, I you know people were saying you know what what business you know what what model are you using? And I was kind of going, 
just kind of just making it up as I go along now. <laughs> I, I wasn't actually saying, you know, I'm just flying with the seat in my pants. And my husband was like, that. sometimes the things you're doing, it sounds like you haven't even got any pants on. Do you know that's, <laughs> but it's just because, but again, it's because I'm like, I'm open to opportunity and I'm like, that's good. So, you know, I would love the opportunity. I was speaking with um, an organisation in Belfast who helps people whose lives have been impacted by childhood sexual trauma and, and chatting with them about they're going to go and try and get some money so that they can offer it. Um, to people who access their services, so I'm, you know, I'm up for having conversations with people who have, you know, who have a charity or a cause that they're looking for something alternative and something, you know, something different. Um, because as I say, we've been open just over two years. I was here a year all by myself, just and in that year, I was just constantly on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these different things, and you know, I was chatting to anybody I could and leaving leaflets wherever I went and and really just kind of plugging away. But I was working in the business, so when the doors opened, I was here until the doors closed again at night. And it's only been a year now that I've got Judith in, so Judith's here now. So Judith works in the business. I work on the business. So it's been really good because this last year. You know, I've, like I've joined an accelerator program. I'm working with the Ulster Bank, and I was up at Balmoral with them yesterday, and I met Princess Anne, and you know, like they've got me in the bank doing sort of mindfulness-based kind of it's hypnosis, but you can give it whatever name you like. So you know, I was, I'm, I'm in doing some of that stuff. They're going to be climbing Sleeve Donard, and I'm going to be going up with them and doing a session at the top of the mountain and all these things. But these are opportunities that. I would never have, you know, that I would never have thought to go for, and had I have had an expectation on, right, well, I want to be here and I want to get there through this, and it was just like, oh, that looks interesting, I'll apply for that. Oh, that looks interesting, I'll apply for that. So there's lots of different things. So while I am more kind of going in the corporate kind of direction now, my heart, my true heart, is back where people who would really benefit from from healing and who don't have the finance to be able to access that you know shouldn't eliminate them altogether because there's ways around these things as I say I've worked in the charity and voluntary sector and if you believe in something enough you'll find the money to bring that to the people that you're supporting you know and I would love to get a chat with anybody who thinks that they would have something that would benefit um, a project that would benefit from you know having this in because you could write this into a funding application people get funding applications in and they read over it and they're like yeah they're filled in this they're filled in that yeah it's this and that but to have flotation havening all these different things people are going oh here oh here this is a bit different so to have a an application for for funding or for a tender or whatever that totally stands out from anything else taking into account we're the only flotation center in northern ireland so there's nobody else going to have that within their within their tender or their application or their funding or whatever that is. But I just think, you know, the more people we can get to it, that re- you know, I have a thing downstairs in the kitchen that said, and I can't even remember exactly what it says, but it's along the lines of children need love, especially when they don't deserve it. And it's true, and at the end of the day, inside us all is a child that just needs loved. And, the, you know, and even and when kids don't deserve it and they're kicking off and, you know, and, and acting out and things like that, it's because there's something within them that, that hasn't been healed. There's some need within them. And when you look at, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you don't have the fundamentals, if you don't have the basic stuff in, you're never really going to get to that. You're never going to get much higher than that. And so many times I meet people who are just stuck at the basic needs. They breathe. They have water, sometimes don't even have that. Do you know, they have no roof over their head, they have no belongings, they have nobody to love and care for them, they have no connection, they have no nurture, they have, do you know, they're, they're, so how are they ever expected to get higher than that when they have absolutely none of that fundamental stuff? And when we get the fundamentals right, then everything else has a solid base to grow. 
I could talk all day, Susanna. I know, I can see that. (laughs) But this is such a great topic and I really, I I just really hope that it will happen and Mm -hmm. you will be able to get patients referred by the NHS and paid by the NHS. So even those who cannot afford it privately can get access to it. But, um, you know, getting healthy physically and and mentally, you know, that requires a lot more than just that. And and, uh, as you know, the sweet spot is all about nutrition and food. So what I really want to know now, what's your diet like? What do you normally eat? I would say I have a vast and varied diet. I used to be really unhealthy. At one point, I, um, because I was bulimic at one point in my life, I, and all I would eat was chocolate and crisps and it was chocolate and crisps, chocolate and crisps and then just bring it all back up again so there's always been a sort of relationship there between me and food that wasn't very healthy but again now I'm like like first thing in the morning I have I wake up and I have a shake for my breakfast I would then have maybe depending if it's the weekend I would have maybe like wholemeal toast with avocado and eggs and maybe some salt and pepper and some um, balsamic vinegar for lunch I would have because I work up in the um, the entrepreneur, the Ulster Bank hub sometimes, there's a lovely health nature, it's a health food store over from there and they make the, mo- the most amazing um, peanut butter balls and the, oh, they're lovely. But I would go in there and I would maybe have something from there. But then there's some days that I would maybe go and I had like a nice big burrito bowl or I would have maybe like a chicken and bacon panini or something like that. You know, I've been toying with vegan for the last few while, but... I'm just, and again, like, thank you for your lovely book because it's came in really timely because I'm kind of going, will I do it, will I not? And there was a thing on the radio the other day there and there was a guy chatting about, you know, he does vegan two, three days a week. And I was like, I never even thought of doing that. Do you know, just doing it. That, and just to sort of see, because I've been chatting to my husband and then I was like, could maybe do, you know, go vegetarian first and then... But then I thought, but then that's about restriction. And it's about, you know, can you say, I'm not going to do that and I'm not going to do that. And it's the one thing I've taught, I've learned in life, as I've said here this morning, is flexibility. And it's just, you know, I think, have, have you know, never deny yourself what you really want to have, but still I have a good kind of framework around that. Do you know, I would never be, like, I'm not the type of person that would eat chippies every night of the week or, you know, eat pizza every night of the week or anything like that. But on the odd occasion I'll have a chippy and on the odd occasion I'll have pizza. But in generally my food intake would be quite would be quite good. And because I have a thing called Hashimoto's disease, I have to be it's it's a thyroid condition. Oh, right. So I would um, I drink chaga. I don't know if you've heard of chaga. Oh, yes, I yeah. Have. Um so I drink chaga every day, I take vitamin D every day, um, I take silver every day. Um, and I generally never eat after about seven o'clock at night, depending on when I get home. I'm really quite sort of like, right, I'm going to try and have as much vegetables as we can. We do a juice club here um, with Judith has a, a big juice making machine that's got a mascipator in it. So rather than it being like a Nutribullet that blends all the food, blends all the, the fruit and veg down, what it does is it's like it's, it turns like that and it's got teeth on it so it rips open the cells within the fruit and the veg and if you drink it within sort of five ten minutes of it being made it's still quite live and active you know it's really so I do that most days when I'm here so I'm always kind of I wouldn't say I'm overly healthy but I wouldn't say I'm overly unhealthy either I'm just kind of balanced 
all about balance. It is all about balance, and it's so hard to get the balance right. Mm, and it's, that's it. Everybody's different, so you know what works for me is not going to work for you. That's it. Everybody needs to work it within themselves, and it's really, really hard. So, last thing, will you tell me your favorite vegetable, and would you have a recipe that you could share with us? I suppose the thing that keeps popping in my head is just avocado. See, just now, I'm just like, I eat so much avocado. And one of my favourite recipes is brown bread or wholemeal bread with harissa paste and then rocket and then mashed avocado on top of that and then some crushed nuts on top of that and then um, a balsamic glaze. Oh, that sounds awesome, actually. Lovely. Really <laughs> that nice. sounds really good. You're the second person with avocado. I totally uh, go with that. Well, thank you very much for awesome chat. No, you're very welcome. Thank you for listening to me. And I can't wait to hop onto that floating tank again. Uh, good, can't wait to see you. Thanks very thank much. You. Cheers. What a wonderful person this lady is. She could talk all day and I could certainly listen to her all day, but we did have to cut that interview off at some point. Vivian's recipe made me crave bread and avocado and at the minute I can't eat either. So I went home and had some rocket salad at least. But if you are going to try this recipe at home, I can see this working really well with a good fresh home-baked sourdough. And there are plenty of places now where you can buy the real deal. And by that I mean the 72 hour to proof kind of sourdough. Unless of course you can make it yourself. If you're of grains, like me, then make a nice grain-free seed and nut loaf. I might even give you a nice recipe for it if you ask nicely. But all of this food talk is making me really hungry, so let's just switch the subject. And back to Hydro Ease. If you are considering a floating session, and I can only recommend it, this is what you can expect. I went with my partner. And when we arrived, we are greeted by a big smile and very friendly attitude. You feel instantly comfortable and sort of at home as soon as you walk through the door. We were seated and had to fill out a form disclosing any existing conditions, medication, etc. And then when that was out of the way, we were shown to the cabin. Now, the whole place smells absolutely wonderful. Flowers and herbs, all those natural smells that make the whole experience even better. Once we walked into the cabin, the whole process was explained to us and we were told that in the event of an emergency there is a button to call for help. There is a shower and place to leave your clothes. Um, it is best to take shower first, although it's not compulsory, but even for my home Epsom bath, I know that the benefit of magnesium bath and the experience is far greater if your skin is clean, fresh and free of all the lotions, moisturizers, perfumes, etc. I was wearing my swimsuit, but I don't think that you need to wear it. And perhaps it's even better if you don't. Now, when you walk into the cabin, it may surprise you how shallow the water is, but it's deceiving. It is really enough for you to float. It's only 25 centimeters, but it is plenty. Now the light in the bathroom will switch itself off and you are left in the cabin with only a couple of very dim lights, which you can switch off. And then nothing. Silence and calm. You just lay down and if you're a little bit of a control freak, you might struggle to float at start. You need to let go of that control that you think you need to have over what your body does and how it's positioned. Just lie down, stretch your arms, stretch your legs, find a comfortable position and just let the water carry you and just be for an hour. Just be, just 
exist in the moment, in the place. The water is body temperature, so your body adjusts to it instantly. I felt like I was in a some sort of like limbo, like nowhere. And um, after a few minutes, I started to doze off. And I was in that moment that Vivian describes in her interview. And you're kind of half asleep, but you're not quite asleep. So you could still... You know, if somebody talked to you, you could probably hear that voice from, like, from afar. It's a kind of strange place. And uh, it brought me to a happy place of my childhood. And suddenly I wasn't in a dark flotation tank or in this kind of limbo space. I was floating in a little stream surrounded by flowers and birds. And the sun was shining and the leaves were rustling in the trees above me. And it was just beautiful and I could almost feel the sun on my skin. It was just a really strange and really nice sensation. And I probably must have been thinking about the happy days at my grandparents' house recently that brought that on. Who knows? But I really enjoyed that. I must have actually fallen asleep because the next thing I know, I hear snoring from the cupboard next door and a gentle knock on the bathroom door telling us that we missed the timer. So there is a timer in the bathroom which is supposed to make a very gentle noise to let you know when your time is up. But we didn't hear anything and my partner wasn't allegedly even asleep. So I must have gone from that kind of not quite asleep but not quite 100% awake state into asleep because I didn't hear anything and the hour actually felt like only maybe 10 minutes it just didn't feel like an hour so we got up and once you get out of the cabin the, the um, there's a sensor in the bathroom so when it senses that there's a movement the light comes on again and um, then we had a shower. It's good to have a shower after your float because you'll just cover it in salt. I had salt in my ears for like a day and I couldn't get it out. It was really funny. Yeah, have a shower. <laughs> Everything is provided for you to have a shower. There, There's a shower gel, there's a shampoo, you get towels, there are hair dryers. And afterwards you can even chill in a special resting area with a nice cup of herbal tea. I didn't quite know how to describe it, but when Vivian mentioned the lady who described the whole experience as resetting to your factory settings, that is what it felt like to me. And it's not even recharging your batteries. It's like getting a new one. So I think I'm going to allow myself a new battery every month now. And if I convince you that you have to try this, I might meet you at the Hydries in Dundonald. If you'd like to book a session, you can call 028 nine five two one five one double five or book via their website hydro-ease.co.uk you'll find the center at unit c3 inspire business park 16 carroll railroad dundonald bt16 1qt if you'd like vivian's recipe remember you can download it from the sweet spot facebook and instagram and trust me it'll taste even more delicious after a floating session just saying. Have a great couple of weeks, have an avocado, and stay healthy. Until next time, bye! As always, your host was myself, Susanna, the author of The Sweet Spot. Music has been provided by Mark J. Adair of Singo Studios and artwork by Gemma O'Hagan of Gemma O'Hagan Design.